0: Hello, welcome to Sisters in Colour. This is a new podcast about the amazing migrant women, their stories of their cultures, their faith, their resilience, and ability to reinvent themselves professionally and personally in their adopted countries. Please join me on this journey of discovery of the richness, vibrancy, and diversity of the multicultural women who choose to share their story. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Sisters in Color. Today, I'm really honored and excited to have the amazing Sissy Ma on our show. Sissy is a mentor, a friend, a motivator. She's so many things. And one thing that I love about Sissy is, you know, she's this wealth of knowledge and she is always, always willing to share um, the information. Sissy actually introduced me to uh, a fabulous network of women called CEO. Uh, a network of which I'm a part of and I've grown and learned so much um, from Sissy. She's also one of our speakers for our Migrant Women in Business Summit, which um, unfortunately due to COVID-19, like everything else, has been postponed to the later part of the year. But today I'm really looking forward to sit down and have an intimate chat with Sissy uh, so that you can also have the privilege of learning from her experience and learning a bit about this amazing woman. So welcome to Sissy. In
1: Colour, Sissy. Thank you very much, Christina, really appreciate it, yes.
0: Could you start, Sissy, by just giving our audience who don't know you uh, a bit of background on who you
1: are? Sure. Um, so my name is Ma and I'm actually originally from China about uh, I think almost coming to 30 years now this year. Um, came from China to Australia in 1991. And um, I came here to study and with the intention of uh, going back after study. Um, but, you know, a year out after I came out, I, I went back for a holiday and decided that uh, I prefer Australia <laughs> because uh, China, you know, I was going back to Hong Kong and it was so crowded, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, 29 years later, I still can't stand you know standing in queues for too long which is what happens if you're in china or in hong kong but it's a uh, you know a great country great places for for a visit for me now that i'm in australia and uh yeah so basically started uh you know, doing a study here in, you know, uh, Bachelor of Commerce Honors and then did a Master of Financial Management uh, at UQ as well. And uh, after graduation, I went for a a number of job interviews and, you know, was lucky enough to be uh, recruited for Queensland Treasury Corporation, who's actually the trade, you know, basically looking after all the debt funding for Queensland government. Um, I don't know how much money they they have now, but back then it was uh, quite a few billion dollars that we were looking after so it was uh yeah so it was funny that uh, out of that group we had uh, at then in 96 we had 400 um people went uh, who went for the job uh and was uh, you know corporate finance analyst role and in the end a uh Myself, uh, who came from China, and uh, another guy who came from Russia, got the job out of 40, oh, wow. like 400 graduates, postgrads, and you know, all, all over. So, the uh, the department that I work for is, was called the advisory you know, policy advisory department, and it was the, basically the United Nations of uh, Queensland Treasury Court. because I think out of uh, maybe a, a, almost 20 people working there, w- there was only one True Aussie. Everybody else came from another country. Oh (laughs) wow! Yeah, yeah. yes. I was uh, very, I guess, uh, you know, through through into the deep end, uh, but in a very multicultural, diverse organization. But even then, uh, I still felt uh, a bit out of the place. You know, like when you were back. When I was back in China, I was very outgoing. I was, you know, leading. you know, choirs and leading you know hundreds and thousands of people in singing and conducting and that kind of thing but when i came to australia i felt like i don't have a voice anymore even though you know my english was okay you know i i i did i, I think i got the second highest score in tofu the test of english uh, as a foreign language yeah. in the world uh, and the, you know the australian uh, uh, immigration department had to interview me because they didn't believe the score. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, <wow. laughs> yes, I can't get to that high. So I don't think someone would, you know, get to that high. But anyway, it was just, it's just a, a cultural shock when I came to Australia, you know, I was studying, but I still felt like I couldn't, when I started working, I felt like I couldn't speak out. I, I you know, basically lost a voice when I started working. I was very quiet. I, you know, they were saying at the beginning of my career, they were saying I was this quiet little Asian lady who doesn't say much, but when she does say something, people listen, you know, that's, yes. that's, Like, if you have the expertise, I think people will listen that way. But one of my mentors, actually, I was very lucky to have a mentor. And and, and he's been the one who's believed in me before I believed in myself. So... Mm -hmm. He was the one who put me in charge. I think it was like two and three years out of graduation. He put me in charge of a GST implementation project for QTC, which is like, uh, I had a team of 20 people working for me as you know, someone who's just started uh, working, you know, three years in the job. And uh, so, and he's basically said, you know, Sissy, don't worry about your language. You you are you know your English is perfect. So don't worry about it and mm. and say things in meetings and don't worry about what you say. Just just say it. You know, the more you say it, the more people listen and the more, you know, they, they trust you and they believe in you. And that's that's really the you know the best advice I've had along the way is just you know don't worry about what people might think of you, but actually Uh, you need to speak out to be heard, basically. And that's, you know, basically not only from a corporate career perspective, but from even, you know, when you become an entrepreneur, you also need to speak out and (laughs) got to represent yourself all the way so that people believe in you. They they need to hear from you first and then say, yes, uh, you know, she knows her stuff and that kind of thing. So that's part of branding, isn't it? Yeah, I I totally agree. That's a a bit of a long story, but anyway, like (laughs) you know, corporate career for twenty odd years, and I decided Mm -hmm. to uh, break out the corporate career. You know, was working for mergers and acquisitions, working in really large uh, transactions, about seventeen billion dollars of transactions that I did. Mm Um, But I found that uh, a lot of uh, sort of SMEs are coming to us for help, but I wasn't able to because the corporation has got a, a, you know, a certain threshold that I have to, you know, any clients would have to pass that threshold. Um, So I decided that to, you know, basically I want to do it so that I can help the people I want to help. And that's, you know, a lot of the SMEs, you know, 97% of, of uh, businesses in Australia, uh, SMEs, uh, small mm-hmm. enterprises, and a lot of them don't reach $10 million per annum in revenue. Mm-hmm. But they are the people that, that really needs a lot of help, and, you know, that you, that's the area where you can make a lot of impact and helping people grow um, to a stage where they can grow really quickly and, and then, mm-hmm. with, you know, with external funding or with external help, they will... Uh, grow really quickly and that hmm.
0: yeah that's interesting do you find um with that sme uh, space do you find that um there is a lot of people that are willing to put i mean there's there's investors out there uh who are willing to put you know money into tried and true products. And uh, I heard someone say to me once, it's so much easier for me to raise a um, 100 million than it is for me to raise 1 million. I can tell you how to get a 100 million, but I can't tell you how to get 1 million. I have heard that from me. <laughs> how, how do you find that? I find yeah. I found that fascinating. But uh, obviously, you know, if could you enlighten us a bit about why is it hard for those small to medium enterprises to really break into getting mm-hmm. in that capital space?
1: Yes, uh, it's basically it's it's like investors, they are in brackets. You know, there are investors who are really large investors, you know, institutional investors, they are the people who would invest in, you know, 100 million plus. Um, and there are you know, a finite number of them, there aren't too many of the, those investors all around the world, but there are, you know, still quite a, a good number, a few hundred or, or even a thousand of those uh, uh, large investors. Um, these investors, they they would, you know, they wouldn't look at any transactions smaller than a hundred million, for example. So with a, a SME, when they just starting up, uh, they would not be able to value their business as over a hundred million dollars. So they are not looking for a hundred million dollars. And then you're basically back to the the venture capital Come businesses, uh, the smaller and venture capital businesses, and then uh, the angel investors. And angel investors don't have a lot of. Uh, I guess they, they their check sizes are a hundred thousand, you know, to a couple of million dollars, maybe. Uh, depending on you know, some angel investors can invest uh, a lot more. But uh, the thesis of angel investing is actually you don't put too much money into one mm-hmm. investment because. Oh. Because basically what they're trying to do is they're, they're putting their eggs into so many different baskets that yeah, you know, just in case one of the baskets actually do uh, work and, you know, the chicken comes out and the others, they don't care, you know, not that they don't care, but they are betting that maybe one out of 10 investment would give rise to a a really good return for them but the others are not as good and you know obviously a lot of angel investors do try to get uh, better returns like that better, better successes like that but um the the whole idea about angel investing is that they don't put too much money into each investment so if you wanted to raise a million dollars from all angel investors that would mean that you have to raise it from at least 10 people to get to that a million dollars you know if each one of them are only going to be able to contribute a thousand a hundred thousand but if you were if a a vc comes in then most vcs uh, they, they will have check sizes of you know, 230, 250, 500, 500, 500,000, a million, or, you know, up to 5 million, 10 million, depending on whether they're early stage VCs or late stage VCs. And so if the early stage VCs uh, can be co-investing with the angel investors, for example, they, they're they happy to put in a, a bit more money in upfront, um, you know? And so in that case, a million dollars, if you can get to a couple of VCs, you might be able to fill your million dollars. But, yeah. but the, uh, the issue with Australian VCs is that they do uh, want to try Tested businesses, mm. so they're basically looking for businesses that have got, had, you know, three million dollars of annual revenue, for example. And uh, a lot of startups don't get there until, you know, a few years into their startup uh, scene anyway. So it's uh, it's a kind of a chicken egg issue because some startups actually do need external funding to uh, help them grow really fast because mm-hmm. they are, you know, they some of them they have a structure that is um really good when you when there is an external investor then they will be able to put more money into you know marketing advertising then you they will be able to get more uh in terms of revenue from clients as well and uh, but then you know without that then it'll it'll take much longer for them to grow to you know three million dollars or something. yeah
0: now, um so see like myself you're part of the 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 the, the you know the colorful community of my <laughs> Women, uh, and I call them Sisters in Colour, which is what this podcast is really all about. What has your experience been as a migrant woman growing your own business uh, in, in, in Australia? What have been some of the the highlights and the challenges uh, of that journey for you?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, I have had really a lot of uh, really good things happening, you know, along the way, you um, I am not sure whether being a you know a Chinese Australia whether it has uh, hampered me in my growth or not, but I I guess I'm I've been um, basically pushing forward and and you know taking all the opportunity I can get and say you know say yes all the time and um, so that you know in when I was working in uh, Horizon for example one of the the publicly listed companies I think they're. Top 50, maybe um, ASX Um, and they had a program like uh, a program called, um, I think it's executive women's development program or something. And I, you know, I just put myself forward for it and I, I was lucky to be chosen. For you know a couple of things like that, um, and you know that kind of help help along the way, um, but still, like, I, I think the numbers are you know for uh, we I talked about bamboo ceilings previously where yes, you often, have you know, eleven I think it's eleven percent Asian Australians, but only less than 1% in, uh, you know, senior leadership roles. So it's, uh, you do get to a ceiling somehow. Can you
0: explain for our viewers who may not be familiar with the term bamboo ceiling, what that actually means?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, That is a, a term that is kind of similar to when we're talking about women, you know, there is a glass ceiling that, you know, people know all about it where, um, there is less there are less female leaders in the whole world you know but um the for 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 asian uh people it's even worse um so basically as i the the numbers i mentioned earlier that there are 11 percent um asian australians so australians who have an asian background or of asian descent um but Uh, I can't remember the specific number, but it's a very low number, maybe 1% or 3% uh, would have been in the senior leadership roles. Uh, So, and it was uh, even worse in uh, like legal, you know, lawyers or or people like that. So, Mm mm-hmm there are lots of lawyers Asian of the Asian descent, but they just don't get to the you know the partnership level. They don't get to like in the uh, uh, in the chambers, you know, as a judge, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's what I'm saying when there's you know the yeah. Asian, uh, sorry the. The uh, bamboo ceiling. The
0: bamboos. And exactly. one thing that, you know, I really like about you, Sissy, is that you're, you're not a, a person who focuses on problems, you focus on solutions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you really saw that this bamboo ceiling was something that you really were passionate about wanting to do something about, not just, you know, complain about it and say, you know, there's not enough Asian women in leadership. You were like, okay, well, I'm here. I am in, in, in leadership. I've got some friends around me. And you started something called, um, well, it's transcended its name now, but it mm-hmm. started off as the um, Asian... Um, Ladies Mentoring, Asian, Mentoring Circle. Yeah, yeah. Ladies yeah. Mentoring Circle. And it's now the APAC mentoring yep. circle Absolutely. so you want to tell our listeners a bit about you know what inspired you to to do that firstly tell them a bit about what the APAC mentoring um circle is what inspired you to do that and how people can be involved in that moving forward
1: sure thanks for that yeah, so I, uh, as I was saying, you know, growing up working in corporates, I, I felt like um, there was one thing, you know, someone, I think it was in one of the CPA sessions I was involved in, they, uh, they asked me to be on a panel and they asked, well, what's, what would you tell yourself, you know, the 20 year old yourself, what would you tell her to do? And I said, uh, I would have told her to get lots of mentors. So not just, for, you know, limit yourself to one mentor, get mentors from different areas, different aspects of your, of your life. And, um, and then I, I thought, you know, what can I actually help uh, the younger generation, you know, now that I'm, you know, more mature, and I have been there, you know, 20 odd years of working experience. So what can I help? And what's my specific area of, uh, you know, uh, I guess, influence? I, and, mm-hmm. and I, a lot of people told me that they, they felt really, uh, motivated or uh, after seeing me up there talking, you know, like they say, oh, yeah, um, it's great that I can, I see there's an Asian woman up there, you know, not that, uh, or, you know, when, you, when you're when you up there, people would say, yes, it's great. We see some, you know, African-American, African-Australian Amer- African up there. And so it's uh, the power of the role model that is mm-hmm. so important. So that's why, you know, when you say, well, I, I, I sort of gathered a couple of other Asian ladies back then, uh, one from Philippines and one from uh, the mainland China and uh, they're both uh, quite successful ladies uh, in, in Brisbane so we decided that we just start our own group mentoring circle and, and initially when we started because I had a lot of mentees at one stage and felt uh, mentoring people one-on-one is taking a lot of time mm-hmm. and also uh, I found that uh, when I actually have a few people together they will actually help each other out as well. So it's like initially we when we started in 2016, we uh, so um, Kaylee had six mentees. I had six mentees. So we started in our in one of our boardrooms. So 12 of us, or actually 14, the two of us plus the 12 and mentees. So we basically started uh, brainstorming on what they want to learn and what they you know what how we can help. And so we basically grew from there every, you know, every time we sort of meet once every four to six weeks, we'll talk, we'll talk about a topic that's of interest to them. And as it turned out from 2016 to now, most of the topics that we talked about, they were topics that, that are of interest to the group of people that attend the meetings. Mm-hmm. And there are actually, most of them are soft, Uh, soft skills training. So not not much to do with um, like hard skills, you know, whether it's accounting skills or whether it's engineering skills, those sort of things. I think people can get their training from, you know, organizations or professional bodies. Mm -hmm. What uh, they're looking for is a, a place where they can get together and they can network with each other. They can learn from each other. They can learn from the panelists and they can learn from other people around the, the, the tribes as well and, um, and um, th- this group of people, I think we have about 700, uh, you know, listed now and we have a, a LinkedIn website or sorry, LinkedIn mm-hmm. Insta, a group called yeah. APAC Women's Mentoring Circle. So if you wanted, you can actually join that group on LinkedIn. And I've set up a Facebook group as well with the same name, so you can join Facebook as well. And if you are on WeChat, you can join us on WeChat, but you have to um, join me first because I think we're about 400-something, almost 500 people there. Um, So I have, you know, sort of join me on, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, On LinkedIn, there is uh, my... Uh, wechat profile so join me with wechat and like oh you invite you to the group so within the group we you know people put, post it's a it's a self-moderated group you post um you know things that you think would be helpful to the group so uh, i think last time we had the um my group women business uh, business forum i posted that in there so that more people can you know get access to it and they can sign up etc and whenever you know whenever we have things about CEO I post it in there as well and um, other people post as well um, so others who you know they have sometimes they have uh, uh, motivational quotes or uh, jobs that, that are available, you know, that, that they're not just, they are, there are a few entrepreneurs. And then they, we are, we have a very diverse group, uh, with, you know, people from, uh, accounting, finance, legal profession, engineers, doctors, nurses, teachers, you name it, <laughs> we have it. Oh, brilliant! Yeah. So it's it's that not limited is... to any industry. So yeah. they, I mean, soft skills are, are uniform across. And you know, if you learn good soft skills, it's it's you can apply. It's portable. It, you can apply anywhere. Isn't yeah.
0: Yeah. No, definitely. And having attended a few of those, I can actually attest to how much women are benefiting. And as you say, that nothing beats learning from great role models because the speakers are always, um, are always fantastic. And we'll definitely post for our listeners all the information about connecting in with that. Staying with that theme of mentoring, you've mentioned this, the CEO uh, network. I'm part of that I'm an activator so those terms mean something to you and I but to our listeners who are not aware uh, do you want to just talk a bit about CEO how you came to be involved with CEO and how that's impacted you
1: personally and your business? I guess when I started my business in uh, 2018 I found that along the way uh, there are you know, when I have female clients uh, looking for uh, capital for them, I found it to be uh, harder than if I was uh, trying to raise capital for uh, a male client. And um, it, there are less female uh, who are looking for capital as well. And I found out that uh, globally, there's like last year, there were only 3% of the venture funding that went to female founders. That, that is sole female founders. There are Uh, you know, female and male uh, co-founding groups, and uh, that 3%, it doesn't, it's it's solely just sole female founders. And so that's a really uh, troublesome number for me, because, you know, we are in 2020, and we need to, you know, we're talking about diversity, we're talking about uh, equal you know, equality or equal representation. Um, Women are really good entrepreneurs. I mean, they, you know, we are very good at um, organizing, you know, all all sorts of things. We're good strategic thinkers, multitasking, um, very perseverant and all of those things. But somehow we don't get the same share of uh, the wallet from capital <laughs> yes. um, I think you know Harvard actually did a, Harvard Business Review actually did a, a long, long tutorial study of seven years, and they looked at all the questions that were asked by female or, or asked of female uh, entrepreneurs versus male entrepreneurs, and it turns out that uh, different questions are asked to the females versus the males. Uh, So for the male entrepreneurs, most questions are asked is more forward looking um, things. And for females, they are looking more at the historical what backward looking Mm -hmm. questions. And uh, just think about it when you go out to funding. Most times you're you're going out to funding because you need the funding to grow more quickly. And that is all in the future. You you are projecting the growth in the future. And if you are asking questions and asking questions about what happened in the past, the past doesn't represent the future in the uh, venture field, you know. Um, So that's why female don't get as much funding because they're asked different questions and when they answer the questions, it's hard for them to answer it in a way that that will, you know, if I ask you a direct question on historical performance, Mm -hmm. if you answer it in a way that you kind of gross over it and go over to the the, uh, future forecast, you'll be considered like you haven't answered the question, right? But if you if if you just ask about what's happening in the future, then obviously you can do that. So they actually, um, uh, you know, recommended female entrepreneurs when do, when asked a question about history, try to turn the question around into the future. But it's a it's something that you have to do consciously because. Yeah. I mean, we are, uh, all, we are in front of other people. We always want to answer the question that's asked rather than the question that's not asked. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's, I'm, I'm digressing a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but when I so when I I started that, and then I, when I came across She Yo, I, I found oh my god, this is such a great organization because what She Yo does try to do is actually set you know set up this um, perpetual fund for female entrepreneurs. The money itself is not a huge amount of money, uh, you know. For Australian, for example, aiming for $500,000 every year and split across five ventures, five winning ventures. So each one would only get, uh, you know, definitely less than 500,000. it's a interest free loan, but that the, the loan aspect, the financial aspect is only a small picture. The bigger picture is actually the networking effect because all the, you know, activators like yourself, myself, we're there to help the other uh, entrepreneurs, uh, you know, there is every year we, I think Australia was starting in 2018 and we had I can't, uh, maybe over a hundred ventures that, that uh, went for, you know, to get the um, application in to, to get to the final five and some similar numbers this year as well. Um, so you, all of these ventures, they will be exposed to, you know, a, quite a few hundred activators from Australia. And then they, you know, now with the uh, the COVID-19, we actually have a, a, a activator call, a Zoom call every Wednesday. Yes, we do. Day, tomorrow morning, actually. Yes. And, and um, we'll get into the group, maybe 30, 40 activators and, and entrepreneurs, or we call them ventures, um, and talk about, and it's us and Gabe, Gabe, So you can ask um, something ask something ask for help and everyone else would be able to you know put pitch forward to help you or you can give uh, where you know you can give uh, put forward something that you can help others with so it's a it's a very uh positive vibe amongst you know all the the activators and uh it's like financially every one of us uh, you know on a monthly basis so you only need to put in i think it was like 92 bucks 90
0: or, yeah it's
1: ninety I mean, bucks. 90 bucks or yeah, something yeah that's not a lot is it <laughs> yeah and the the great thing about this is actually the money goes back you know every 5 years all the ventures you know, when they pay back the money, the money goes back to fund future entrepreneurs. So you're basically funding your daughter's generation and your daughter's daughter, you know? That, yeah. That's, that's what I, that, that really uh, resonated with me and I felt like, yes, I want to make a difference, you know, to future generations and this model would, would work in, in that sense, yeah. yeah. No,
0: I really loved, I mean, I really, and thank you so much for introducing me to that uh, for women. I mean, uh, you know, starting off in Canada, a lot of things have come out of the Canadian government and the Canadian government actually back the CEO yeah. network yeah. and, you know, and um, the, the the founder, Vicky, she has that philosophy of radical generosity, which is really about giving. And so you've not only got a fund, um, which is kind of just the carrot really yeah. um, it's more the network and um, the involvement uh, like, like what you're saying Sissy, see, which is, you know, we've got weekly calls as, as activators. But you know, there's, there's a whole lot that goes on in the background. Like I am just now so exposed to so many women around the world. I know, and are willing to help me for no reason other than the
1: fact that I am an activator in the SheEgo network. I know, I know. (laughs) It's great, isn't it? And it's it's really good for uh, branding as well. It just shows to people that you care, you know, you, you want to make a difference, you care. So yeah. Definitely. I
0: agree with that.
1: Yeah. And we, out of the, our network, we're we're actually talking about um, more, um, I guess additional funding for the ventures as well. Okay. So there's existing funding from the you know each person from the activation, and we're trying to find out other ways that we can help with you know the uh, the ventures with with more funding. And there are a number, of, quite a number of uh, you know um, I guess uh, sort of sophisticated investors that's already in the group. Uh, mm-hmm. So they're looking for impact fund impact investments as well and all you know obviously with she or all the fund, all the ventures have to be impact in investment yeah yes yeah. yeah. so i have you have to i think the word is too good for the world right yeah <laughs> and
0: and i think as women naturally uh you know i know this is a gross generalization i'm not talking about every single woman out yeah. yeah. but <laughs> So please don't, you know, leave comments that say how different you are. I am really just generalizing here to make a point. Mm -hmm. I think women naturally come from that caring, nurturing incubator space, because if you think about where impact investing started in terms of it, even as a philosophy uh, and that concept of paying forward, it started with the microfinancing, Mm -hmm. the microfinancing of women in third world countries Um, and basically, uh, you know, woe and be hold Nobel Peace Prize laureate later um, you know that idea and that concept has has just grown and and flourished and I think having um been part of uh, a group of women who think like that as you say um Sissy, you know iron sharpens iron so you 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 get involved there you can't help but you know look at what kind of impact you can have in the world. I'm interested to turn um, the conversation a bit over to the present um, crisis that we're in. Uh, We are in a global pandemic. We are in unprecedented times. Now, this is not the first global pandemic in recent times. Um, We've had other pandemics like HIV and um, Ebola didn't quite make it to pandemic, neither did SARS. They remained as epidemics, but they had huge impact nonetheless. But with COVID 19, I think what's really been really quite jarring to everyone is not since really the Spanish flu has the world been forced to actually literally stop. Mm. over a pandemic so you know with HIV because of the way it was contracted the world could still carry the world of commerce could still carry on Um, and a large part of people that were um, impacted were confined to certain communities initially Um, you know and as the virus uh, grew there was a lot more that was known about it there were things that you could do to to prevent it but with COVID-19 you just catch it at the drop of a Like, you know. Uh, And because of that, um, I think what's happened now is there's been a lot of misinformation around COVID-19, its origins. And um, I mean, it's no secret. Everybody knows it originated in Wuhan, China. And initially, the world wasn't paying, while the world was paying attention, they weren't really paying attention, because it seemed to be, well, that's China's problem, you know, that's, that's not anything that we're kind of worrying about, it's not going to impact us. Then when it grew to be a pandemic, and it impacted absolutely every one of us. The way the the fact that the virus started in China and the way that some of it has been reported in the media, the way, you know, even the president of the United States has called it the Chinese virus and all of that, I know has had a lot of impact on the Chinese community, both at a personal point of view, like, you know, I believe people who are racist or people who... um, People will find a way to find a weapon to use against people that are different from them. Um, If you're that way inclined, I think people will always find a way to do that. But if we're talking specifically about the impact that the Chinese community has felt from the fallout, and these are my words that I'm using, of COVID-19, what have you personally witnessed as a member of the the Chinese community and the fallout here? I'll I'll start with Australia and what you've witnessed here. and also, what you've witnessed globally as being the impact, both from a business and a personal point of view, of how the world has reacted to COVID nineteen, specifically in relation to uh, to the Chinese community.
1: Mm, yeah, that's a great question. Um, unfortunately, you know, there are um, in this uh, period that we do, you know, that a lot of Chinese do did get. Impacted. I, I did get uh, personally impacted myself as well in one of the cases that I came across, which is quite uh, strange. You know, I was trying, I was helping a, a mining company and they were trying to, you know, basically uh, list on the ASX. And um, I was looking, you know, basically helping them to raise some funding. And I spoke to uh, Chinese banks uh, for it. And um, somehow the 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 people uh, the miners decided that they don't want to have anything to do with the Chinese banks. What? So, yes, uh, which I, I like. Uh, my part, my business partner actually decided. Um, so he said, oh, "I'm not I'm not helping you if that's your attitude." So, um, which. I think you know. Uh, it, I, I always feel like there are more people who are actually against um, racism than there are actually people who have who are racist. So um, I always look, you know, at the silver lining out of it. You know. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's one of the incidents that i I came across personally, and I had my um uh, friend's daughter who's like australian born Chinese, and you know people uh, they were you know they were abused on the streets saying that "Go back to your own country and well, this is their own country you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go
0: back where, round the corner.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and there are, you know, videos of um, uh, Asian uh, girls uh, getting kicked at in, uh, I think, Melbourne University. Oh wow! Asian girl, um, Australian girl, uh, kicked her really, really hard, and um, you know, an Aussie guy in the end came out and said, you know, stop, stop, and 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 she. You know, did end up stopping, but um, at the time, I guess people were. Uh, there were some onlookers, and you know, there was no real. Apart from that guy who stopped that girl, it. You know, there wasn't. People didn't actually. St- stop her going away because you know doing that kind of thing and kicking and and shouting uh, there are specific words that they shouted you know it's it's quite obvious that it is a racist act and it's Mm a violent act so if I you know if I was there uh, I would try to actually stop that person going away as well and I know that uh, the police was trying to find this this girl, they have, have her on video. Someone actually shot the video and sent the video to the girl who got sh- uh, kicked at. And I said, well, you know, you had the time to shoot the video. And uh, it's like, sometimes people, maybe they were fighting, you know, fearing for their own um, sort of safety or something, but, um, I really believe in what um, I think one of the generals was saying that the standard you walk by is the standard you live with. Yeah. So if You were walking by a violent act against, you know, against an Asian girl in a, a racist way, then you're really, you know, letting it go. You're sort of letting it um, happen. So I, I put a post up on LinkedIn and, and there were a lot of, you know, people who were commenting on it. And uh, I I said that, you know, we really do need to stop these kind of racist acts in, uh, Mm. you know, not just Australia, I think all over the world. Um, There are are people saying, yeah, Asian girls get, or Asian people get, uh, get the, they were considered Chinese, some of, you know, because we all look Quite similar and, mm-hmm. and so but you know it doesn't matter whether they have been considered Chinese or not it, it, it just you shouldn't do something like that so there there are hundreds of uh, these kind of episodes events that happened, and there was a, a study by one of the universities uh, I us down south that basically looked at the experiences people are have uh, had since you know a couple of months ago and uh, you know there's there's um definitely it's not a one off thing, you know, there are events like this happening every day. But um I guess there are more more people who are against them than people who are doing it. So yeah. Yeah. No, and,
0: and it's always the minority um, mm-hmm. groups that end up spoiling it for the majority. You'll find, you know, on average, I always go by the premise, on average, most people are really good people. Yeah. And the problem is that the odd person who isn't a good person is what gets all the media attention. They are what mm-hmm. get all the spotlight. Whereas otherwise, everyday people are just going about, you know, are really just going about um, about their business. Mm-hmm. Um, so see, I have really... Really loved this conversation I would love to continue nice talking really. oh and hearing more from you I've just glanced at the time and been like oh my gosh where did it go? where has it all kind of um, kind of gone to um Sissy what um you know you're a woman in business you're a woman who is really influential not just in your community but in the broader um, uh, business uh, community
1: what is the kind of impact that you're wanting to have on the world? I mean, obviously, I want to leave this world a better place than I started, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so with the, I guess, with what I do to help people raise capital, what I do is, you know, buying and selling businesses, helping people to exit their existing businesses and, and things like that, I always look at uh, the business uh, and, and see whether it actually is something that I can believe in and, you know, whether it has the same value, value systems that I have. So I, I you know, tend to take on projects like renewable energy projects, uh, you know, uh, impact investment, um, helping the third world with their last mile you know, finance. Um, so if you look at it, all the projects I take on are some, somehow impact related. You know, And uh, I, I had a couple of uh, opportunities presented to me over the last couple of months, which I rejected. And one of them is to do with... Uh, medical marijuana is a mm-hmm. huge, very lucrative business, uh, but that's not something that I believe in. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is online gambling. And that's the other thing that I don't believe in. And there are, you know, other certain things I don't believe in. So I do reject opportunities on that basis. So um, I want to take on, I want to help, because there's only finite time that you can, infinite amount of people you can help. And so I wanna help people who wants to change the world and who want to change the world for the better, you know? So yeah, so that my impact, I mean, for me, if I could change one person's life for the better, that will, you know, that, that sort of would have made my day. Excellent. Well, if our listeners wanna find out a bit more about you, where can they get in touch
0: with you? Where can they find you?
1: Right, oh, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, uh, WeChat, you can see "Grow and Sell Your Biz" that's my business name. So it's mm-hmm. growandsellyourbiz.com. You can just find me there. You know, C-C-M-A, C-I-S-S-Y-M-A. Ma, <laughs> C-I-S-S-Y-M-A. Your name is super, super
0: simple. Sissy, thank you very much for being part of our episode today uh, and being our guest here on Sisters in Colour. We've really loved learning and diving a bit into your phenomenal world and learning, you know, so much about the great impact that you're having on women in business, on business. In, uh, in general, uh, we're so grateful you've made Australia home. So we've had <laughs> the privilege of, of actually meeting you and knowing you and looking forward to having you as our guest on later in the year on the Migrant Women in Business Summit, 27th of October. Looking forward to hearing more about your story and obviously between then seeing you um, in the different places
1: that you know we always see you active. So thank you so much for your time, Sissy no thank you very much thank you. i really appreciate the invite and i'm very happy to be on this show and you know really looking forward to the micro women in business and that was a really great thing that you're doing so thank you thank you thank you everybody so that brings
0: close tonight to our episode please click uh, on our spotify link to uh, to subscribe so you won't miss an episode next time that it's released thank you everybody and good night You can reach out to Sisters in Colour on our social media pages and on our website, Migrant Women in Business. You can also find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. This is Christine Mudawanu. Thanks for listening to Sisters in Colour.